Thank you. Um, if you have a Bible, would you like to be finding uh, the book of Revelation and chapter 7? If you don't have a Bible with you but would like to follow in a copy of one, uh, just raise your hand up and one will be brought to you. Just keep it there until one of the girls can see it and bring one to you. Um, alternatively, uh, some of the scripture references will come up on the screen above the stage. So all being well, you'll be able to follow what we look at uh, there too. Okay, so we have been um, on occasion spending some time in the book of Revelation the past few weeks or so, and um, last week we looked at the whole of a vision that John has. It's called the vision of the seals, and it spans the entirety of chapters 6 and 7. And so we looked at the big picture of this vision last week. There's a few more things I'd like us to uh, to look at. So we're going to look this week at Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, which gives us again a, a specific vision, a picture, if you like, of what heaven is like. So let's read from Revelation 7 verse 9. John writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who've come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And when he opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand, then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. There we have an awesome, majestic vision of what heaven uh, will be like. That is, in a sense, the encouragement that we looked at last week. Uh, the big picture of chapters 6 and 7 taken together is this. In chapter 6, we saw great tribulation coming on the earth, great trouble, great problems, great pressure. And God's people are not immune from that. God's people know something of what it means to live in a world which involves conflict and war and bloodshed and heartache, economic problems, famine, even martyrdom. And so the question came at the end of that chapter, who can stand? At the end of chapter 6, who can stand in the light of all of this? And so in chapter 7, it's as though God wants to take his people, the church, aside and say, look, there's great tribulation for you right now, but I want you to know that there is even greater protection for God's people. And you might be on a bumpy journey right now. You might be kind of encountering turbulence on the flight, as it were. But God says to his people, know this, because of who I am, because of what I have done, your destination is guaranteed. Your smooth landing into glory 
is guaranteed. Even when things are being shaken, even when the universe itself seems to be getting broken, God has great protection. And he's reassuring in chapter 7, he's reassuring God's people, this is what it's going to be like. You're going to be sealed, you're going to be secure, always safe with me, sheltered. We looked at that phrase about the lamb kind of stretching his tents over God's people. A sense of guaranteed protection that we'll one day be there in glory. So it gives us great hope, gives us great confidence in what is to come. As we're living on the earth right now, this is our hope. This is the guarantee, this is the encouragement God gives us of all that is to come. We're not yet there. We're not yet experiencing exactly all that this means. But whilst it's not yet, in the here and now, we've got a great hope that yes, one day we will be there. Now I thought it would be helpful for us to look again at some of these details in chapter 7, because when we're considering what it means to live in God's kingdom... Sometimes the phrase is used, the now and the not yet. In other words, God's kingdom has come. Now it has come. So we can be saved, we can know him, we can read his word, we also know him speaking to us. We've had testimony this morning of people saying, I prayed to God, Lord would you heal me, and the next day I sprang out of bed. There's a sense in which we live in the kingdom of God right now. Anything can happen Because God, right now, is ruling and reigning. And we can encounter some of that rule and reign now. And there's that sense of well, of it being the not yet. We experience God's blessings now, but we know to come in heaven, there'll be the fullness. There'll be the complete deal, where every blessing is ours for eternity in Christ. There'll be no obstacle between us and God. There'll be nothing to kind of obscure our sight. We will be in this group of people who are before the throne, bowing down before God, who's seated on the throne. And we looked last week about what that will, that will involve. We saw some of those things. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. We might know some of those things now. But then, no hunger. No thirst, no scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And we saw this, so profound is God's care for his people, that in heaven, in the not yet, as it were, but in what we are to experience in the future, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It will be so satisfying to spend time with God in heaven, that it's as though every tear is wiped away. Whatever that great tribulation on the earth has involved, whatever trouble and hardship, persecution, famine, disaster, plague, or whatever was involved living on a planet which was groaning in its own pain as it longed to be released from bondage itself, whatever life involves, when we're spending time with God in glory, every tear wiped away. So there's the now and the not yet. In a sense, we're going to look at the now what do we experience of God right now? We're looking into, into heaven. You know, a survey was conducted in this country a few years ago and suggested that 55% of the population, give or take, um, believe in heaven, which is a surprising, um, surprising finding. We might expect to find it to be a bit less than that. But 55% or a small majority... Um, believe in heaven, but perhaps the, those who conducted that survey were kind of suggesting afterwards that when all the questions, when the whole survey was considered, it kind of looked like basically people were confused. And perhaps then, heaven was not a reality that people were believing in, but rather just kind of like an idea, a nice thought. Wouldn't it be nice if, yeah, I believe in heaven, kind of. And, and maybe there'll be other things that are kind of nice ideas that are believed in. And this passage comes to us to show us and to remind us heaven is not a nice idea. Well, it's nice, but it's not an idea. It's a reality. And we heard from what Tom was just saying earlier on. Sometimes Jesus can be just thought of as an idea. Oh, I believe in the idea of resurrection. The idea that he was raised to life again after dying 
on the cross and being buried for three days. Isn't that a nice idea? That is a powerful reality. Um, And you can know that for yourself today. God doesn't want us just to believe in vague ideas. He wants us to know the reality. Things not yet, but there's a sense in which through this passage, we're not just being encouraged to hold on because there's something wonderful coming. There is something wonderful coming, but we're also being encouraged to think and we're to get a flavor of this right now. If you like, the church is an outpost of heaven. In Philippians 3, it describes how those who know Jesus are already citizens of heaven. It's like, wonderful. The papers have come through. I've got my passport. I haven't yet gone there. I'm definitely going to go there. I've got the tickets. Everything is, is planned. Everything is sorted. My citizenship, that's where, that's where I belong. That's where I am in some senses already in a spiritual way. That's where I belong whilst right now I'm living on the earth. And so the church, if you like, is this outpost of heaven. And so the church then, well, it's, it's kind of to have the flavor of heaven about it, the taste of heaven. And sometimes when we've been looking through uh, these early chapters of the book of Revelation, we've, we've sometimes asked ourselves the question, well, what is heaven like? Now, in a sense, we're going to ask that question again today, but not just so that we gaze off into the future, but so that we get inspired in the here and now. What is heaven like? What what have we got a taste of right now? Now, we've already looked at a number of things in, in weeks previous. We've already looked at how heaven is not dull. Heaven is vibrant. So heaven is not really akin to a library of kind of hushed academic silence. It's bright, it's loud, it's vibrant, it's full of activity. That's what we've seen before. Now, one of those activities is just the incredible noise of people singing. And there's this joyful celebration. We catch a flavor of it in this passage here in Revelation 7, where there's uh, this group and they're wearing white robes, they're holding palm branches in their hands, they're crying out in a loud voice. There's a party going on. And so that's what's happening in heaven. Well, we get a flavor of that, I hope, in the church. Sometimes it's maybe in our culture, we've just got to throw off that little bit of reserve. There is no one like Jesus. And I search and I search. And dare I? Okay, I'm going for it. I'm going to do it. This is abandoned worship. I'm turning around. Oh, yes. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> now hopefully in our worship, well there's a flavour of, where are people who've got reason, great reason to rejoice? And we've looked at what it means to be in the spirit as well. Where we're experiencing the very presence of God when we meet. We're going to look at a few other things this morning. What is, what is, what's heaven like? Well, we see here that heaven is multinational. You get that in verse 9? John writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. These are God's people. goes on to say, From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Now, we've kind of met that phrase before when we get a description of heaven in uh, in chapter 5 and verse 9. It's kind of speaking of what Jesus was looking to accomplish when he died on the cross. And this is what he was looking to accomplish. When we read of this song in uh, Revelation 5 and verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll, that's speaking to Jesus, to open its seals, that's which we've looked at in chapter 6, because you were slain, Jesus died on the cross, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. God always wanted a big family, a massive family. And he didn't just want a family from one particular part of the world or just a few kind of hand-picked regions of the globe. When God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were designing the way in which they would save people from hell, they thought, let's save people from every corner of the globe. Let's have people from 
every tongue, every tribe, every people, every language. And so we look into heaven and that's what we see. And so heaven is very welcoming. Heaven throws open its gates to people who know Jesus from every nation under the sun, from every people, from every culture. And so there are some cultures that, that worship in the way that we do, and they, they turn around um, once in a while. Uh, there are other cultures that worship God in different ways, and God says, I want you all to come and know me. I want you all to be welcomed in to my family. Now, when Mark has been preaching uh, most recently, uh, he's begun a series on Genesis. And so we're looking at Abraham, how all the nations of the world, God picked out Abraham and said, I want to have a special relationship with you, Abraham. Was that God kind of ignoring other people groups and saying, I'm not interested in you. Uh, I've just got judgment for you. Oh, it's, it's Abraham I'm really interested in. Well, he was really interested in Abraham, but it's clear from the promises that God gave to Abraham, I'm going to bless you because through you, I want to bless the whole, the whole world. So everyone welcomed. And then everyone is united. Just have a look at the song they sing in verse 10. They cried out in a loud voice. You know, this is the group standing before the throne from every nation, tribe, people, and language, what do they sing? They sing, salvation belongs to our God. And there's a few things that kind of just strike me in that. First of all, everyone in heaven, whatever their national culture, whatever the strengths and weaknesses of their particular culture, everybody from the four corners of the globe, is completely impressed with God. They're not in some competition to see whose culture kind of trumps the other one. They are totally preoccupied, totally focused on worshipping him who sits on the throne. And so they're crying out, salvation belongs to our God. If salvation belonged, if salvation relied on us in any way, Heaven would be empty other than angels. Because if it relied on us, there'd be no way through. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody has sinned. No one can arrive into heaven and say, in a sense, I deserve to belong here. Now we all get there and say, we belong here because of what God has done. We don't say... Looking round, yeah, you might have got in by the skin of your teeth. I, on the other hand, I earned my way in. I achieved it for myself. Well done, yeah, you, you take those seats over there. See that crown? See that throne over there? That's mine. Because I am worthy. No, everyone's there saying salvation belongs to our God. Everyone's completely impressed with Jesus. So there's no nation or there's no group of people who are impressed with themselves. Everyone realizes that without God's grace, through Jesus, we would be without hope. No one arrives in heaven and says, I deserve to be here. Everyone is united in that, completely fixed on Jesus, amazed by Jesus, impressed by Jesus. And everyone is united in this way too. Notice this, salvation belongs to our God. That means that every, every nation, every people, every group that's glorifying God in heaven, they're kind of identifying themselves as we're one. We're together in this. It's not, some people aren't in heaven saying, I'm so glad I get to praise your God. And we kind of see that in the Old Testament in a couple of places. Um, we see, for example, in 1 Kings 10, um, the king at the time, King Solomon, uh, has a visit uh, from the queen of Sheba. She visits and she gets like the VIP guided tour of Israel and Jerusalem because King Solomon is impressive, he's rich, he's wise, his fame has kind of spread 
beyond the boundaries, beyond the borders of Israel, other people have heard of his fame. Other people have heard of the God of Israel. And so they come to visit to check out. Well, what's, what's going on? What's so impressive? Well, this is what happens. 1 Kings 10 um, and verse 9. Um, the Queen of Sheba kind of responds to all that she's seen. And she says, praise be to the Lord your God, who's delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Uh, because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Did you get that? She's, she's impressed, but she says, praise be to the Lord your God. I'm really interested in this. I'm really impressed by it, but it's kind of not for me. I can see it's for you, but I don't belong into this. So I can kind of praise your God, but your God is not my God. And so she goes home uh, and she goes back to her nation. Um, no one's saying that in heaven. Everyone of every nation is saying, he's ours. Wonderful. We, we belong here. And so in heaven, there's no, there's no sense of us and them. There's no sense of division. There might be a lot of difference. There might be a lot of variety. And God clearly loves variety. He wants people to be there from every tribe, people, nation, and so on. There's a lot of variety, but everyone belongs. No one, there's no sense of, of us and them. What Jesus has done kind of demolishes all the hostility there could have been. And we saw in chapter six when the, when the seals were broken in that in that part of the vision, as the scroll was opened. We see these judgments coming on the earth. We, we see then some of the things that are involved in living life on the earth. And we saw about conflict and war. And there's one uh, rider of a horse who, who kind of like just takes peace away. And when peace gets taken away, you can even find that neighbors are just at it, in conflict, hostile, not getting on, war, civil war disaster and just plain hostility. Well, the church is in the world, but it's not of the world. And so the church is to have that foretaste of heaven. What's heaven like? Everyone belongs. Everyone's welcomed. There's no hostility. And so God's people are to be a people of peace. Brothers and sisters, that is so, that's why it's so important that if there's any reason why people in God's church are not getting on, they need to deal with that really, really quickly and really humbly and really well and with a lot of love and grace, but that it's dealt with soon. Because God's people aren't to be a people where there's kind of just niggling hostility little arguments that haven't quite resolved themselves. And sometimes that can just be on the basis of, of, of kind of cultural difference. We, we do things differently. And so we can misunderstand each other. And it's not like one thing is wrong and another thing is right all the time. Sometimes it's just a case of, well, we think differently. We approach life differently. And, and to me, this was highlighted recently when I was chatting to someone and they were saying, um, in my country... Christians who know and love each other, when they, when they get together, if you invited me round to your house, um, it would be perfectly fine and culturally acceptable for me to like go up to your bookcase, take a book without asking, and go home with it. And my immediate response as a true Englishman was like, no way. Well, I'm not going to invite you again. <laughs> or if I do, I'm going to make sure that I've hidden all the stuff that I really value so that you can't find it. Or I literally, and I thought, hang on a minute. I, in a humorous moment, I feel the rebuke of God. <laughs> I feel, does my culture, does my Englishness reflect God's kingdom here? I'm, I'm not sure it does. Is heaven an English culture, predominantly? Or is it like a Jesus culture? That's the overriding thing. And so I thought, I don't, Maybe there's just something that I need to correct in my own attitude, in my approach to hospitality and being generous and wanting to be welcoming. There can be other ways in which we encounter difference. And it can go like this. It's the, do we hug or do we shake hands? What do we do? 
most of the time in this country, the safe thing is we, we shake hands. We know where we stand. Welcome. Hi there. Or sometimes, in other, well, in any culture, it's just appropriate to give a hug. And so, okay, we just encounter, uh, we encounter, we encounter differences. We encounter differences with what do you consider to be appropriate personal space? Okay? I think English culture goes a little bit like this. You're having a coffee, you're downstairs later on. Appropriate personal distance is kind of that. So if, I, if I'm having a conversation with someone, I shouldn't be able to touch them if my arm was outstretched. And that's kind of friendly. You come into that, you come into the circle of my personal space, and I need to back away. And so when you get different cultures in the room, people start running around. Because for some people, appropriate cultural space is a lot closer. That's just how it is. Um, and so I've just got to, in heaven, I will have to get over some of these things. Um, well, yeah, that's the case in heaven, but probably it means I need to get over some of them now. <laughs> I might be, you know, I personally, English, look at me, pasty as anything. <laughs> um, a, a, a true Anglo-Saxon. Um, but in glory, I'll have to get over the fact that culturally I might be, there'll be differences. But there's a foretaste of that now. And so I know, as I had that conversation with a friend recently, there are things I need to get over right now. I don't want, in myself, or in the church that we're all part of, for there to be that sense of us and them. Well, we belong, but they don't. Or they belong, but I don't. Salvation belongs to your God. Who's my God? No, we are. This is the plan that God always had. and, And the church is to represent this kind of multicolored, vibrant group from every corner of the globe that's welcoming, that's united. Sometimes we make friendships on the basis of of people that we're already like. So I see across the room someone who is equally pasty as I am. And uh, I think... Um, Maybe about that. Maybe they're the same age. Maybe I go up and have a chat with them, and I find they're from the same town. No way, we've got so much in common. I go to them and say, "They, their, their subject at university was geography. Wow, you you endured that as well. Um, fantastic. Um, we've got so much in common. Great. Why don't you come round? It would be great to catch up sometime. And I can. Oh, maybe sometimes I feel like I, I can welcome that person. But the kingdom of God goes beyond that, surely. It goes, wow, you're completely different to me. You you stand too close. You steal all my books. And you want to give me a hug. <laughs> but why don't we spend some more why don't we get to know each other? Because because despite whatever the differences might be on the surface of things, for those in heaven and in the church, we've got the most glorious thing in common. We're not impressed with ourselves because we're impressed with Jesus. And the most glorious thing that we've got in common is that, um, or we get this vision of it, we get this picture of it in verse 14, where uh, the angel's having a conversation with John. John's, John is asked the question, who, are, who is this great multitude of people? John says, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who've come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That is what gloriously binds us and knits us together as God's people. Before God, we'd fallen short. Before God, whatever the strengths or weaknesses of our own culture, we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned against the creator of the heavens and the earth. Our sin required the Son of God, to come down from heaven, to take on human flesh, to live a perfect life, and then go to the cross. And he died there to bear away my sin and your sin. Our sin was punished in Jesus. The sins of the whole world, all of God's people's sins, laid on Jesus so that we might be free. 
so that we might, as it were, have our robes cleaned. And that's what it, it's a bizarre picture, but you kind of imagine dirty clothes. Imagine Jesus' blood. And you imagine dirty clothes full of the stains of our guilt and shame going into the blood of Jesus. But when they come out, absolutely spotless. That's what Jesus' blood has done for us. And so for all of us, whatever our age, whatever our background, whatever kind of we might consider our class or whatever, whatever life has thrown at us thus far, we can join in with this song. Oh, glorious. Salvation belongs to our God. Thank you, Lord, because if it depended on me, there's no way I'd be part of this great multitude. It doesn't depend on me. It's happened because I am saved because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, I too am joined in with this gloriously Jesus-centered culture in heaven for all glory. So we see that heaven is multinational and the church is to have a foretaste of that. We also see that in heaven, what are these people doing? What are the great multitude doing? Well, in amongst many things, and we've looked at a few things, we've looked at how they're singing and so on and kind of casting their crowns before God in worship. We also hear in verse 15, this description of the people of God. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the, on the throne will spread his tent over them. What the people of God are doing in glory, in heaven, is serving. They're serving. Wonderful. Well, heaven is not dull. So when we get to heaven... It's not going to be like there's nothing to do. And we, you know, quick everyone, find a harp and make up some tunes because that's about it. That's all that we can expect to do. It's going to be quite a bland experience. When we're in heaven, there's tremendous activity. And God has called us to be his people. Yes, that we might enjoy being close to him and know his presence, to know what it is to be sheltered by him. But we're also called to serve him. It even says to serve him day and night. We won't be, in other words, redundant. We won't be twiddling our thumbs. We won't be just given mindless, repetitive tasks to do. I'm so glad you made it, because all of those envelopes need to have a stamp placed on them. Oh my goodness, please, that's why it's day and night, goodness. No, I think heaven is a good place. I think we can be excited by what will be involved there. You know, when Adam and Eve were created, God's people were given a commission. They were told, look at this glorious creation. Now, fill it and subdue it. Adam was given the task of naming all the animals. There was work to be done, and it was meaningful, and it was worthwhile. Now, if that was what was involved when God created the earth, and then the earth got corrupted and so on, what's going to be involved in a glorious heaven. Well, we're going to be involved in activity. We're going to be serving. We're going to be serving God's purposes for all of eternity. And that's going to be good. Now again, the church is to display, and does, I believe, display something of God's character in that because we serve. We serve. We want to serve God. And also, we serve God oftentimes, I don't know if you've spotted this, we serve God actually a lot of the time by wanting to serve the world and bless the world, uh, by doing a good job in the workplace, by taking part in projects that want to show the love of God uh, to the communities that we live in. And we also serve God by serving each other, by kind of preferring each other. I came in today and I received a wonderful welcome from guys on the welcome team who, as it happens, wear a T-shirt that says welcome. And it's just, I was just greeted. That's lovely. Thank you. They served me. And I, that's wonderful. And so there's ways in which we, we want to bless each other. And the church is, well, that's what we're here for, where we want to be a blessing to each other. Now, a question might arise. For some, at least. Maybe not all, but for some. And the question might be this. I'd love to serve God. 
I really would love to. And I see other people and the opportunities they have, maybe the projects that they're involved with, the teams that they're a part of within the church, or I hear of what they're doing in their job and kind of the way in which they're able to influence their their workplace with kind of values that speak of God's heavenly kingdom rather than the earth, where there's often so much competition and conflict and you've got to push people down in order to get ahead. Or I hear of all of that, people serving, and I think, oh, that's fantastic. If only I had the time, if only I had the time available to serve God in those kind of ways. And it's intrigued me recently to, to consider, you know, there's a parable of the sheep and the goats. And we'll look at it in a minute. I think it's in Matthew chapter 25. Um, this, again, a picture of what's going to happen in glory. And the, the sheep are all those who believe in Jesus, love Jesus, know the forgiveness of Jesus. They've been saved by him. And Jesus kind of gathers them and he says to them, basically he says, well done. And it intrigues me that the sheep, people who know God, love God, don't really realize why they're being thanked. So in Matthew 25, in verse 34, it says, you know, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed um, by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. It's intriguing then, what do the righteous say? What do they say? Oh, that's all right, Jesus. We knew we were doing it for you. Well, no, what they actually answer is, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? It's as though God's people don't always realize that they've been serving Jesus. God's people don't always appreciate, in a sense, they don't appreciate heaven's perspective. And if you like, that's a theme that runs throughout this series, looking in Revelation. We want to get God's perspective. We want to get heaven's perspective. What's heaven's perspective in this situation is, oh, well done. Thank you so much. Well, what did we do? I don't remember doing anything for you. Well, look, let me show you what you've done for me. And sometimes there can be seasons in life where we can kind of think, what have I done for him? And I, still, I think that there are times when Jesus would just draw us aside and say, well done. And it strikes me recently, it just so happens in the life of the church, that there are quite a number of couples who have just had, or are soon to have, a baby, or another baby. And um, what can happen? I, I can remember when, when my girls were born, it's as though, for a while... Your, my, my world, our world kind of shrank down. We're looking after this baby who weighs eight pounds something. Um, getting bigger all the time. But I can hold her in my arms. And, and the whole of, it's almost like for a little while, the world just shrinks down. Our opportunity to go and do other things and at the drop of a hat just go out or whatever. Well, life changes somewhat, doesn't it? Uh, parents in the room, I think you know this. Um, there's a new focus uh, of your life. And, um, and so you kind of hear of other things that are happening. Oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to get involved. But actually, right now, my priority is here. My, my priority is this baby. And, um, and in, in that situation, what can happen is, oh, well, a few minutes ago, I had a job. Mothers might identify this. I had a job, and I was I was in the church. Maybe I served in the worship team, or the welcome team, or the something else team, or the bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. And that's what I was doing. I was serving God, and so I wish I had time now to serve Him. But I've got this new priority, and I say, new parents, you are serving God right now. In what you're doing. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And you're serving the kingdom purposes of God. 
as you seek to change the umpteenth nappy again. And in those early days, you, oh, you know what they're like. And they're not good. And actually, they don't get better. They just get less frequent. But anyway, we won't go there too much. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and I can think personally. I can think, okay, how do, how do I serve God personally? How do I? I've got a, the call of God is on my life. And I'm going to serve. And for some reason, I feel led by God to do some kind of series on the book of Revelation. And I better get reading because it's pretty weird stuff at times. So right, I must serve God. Right, get into my room, read the books, close the door. That's my focus. That's my focus. Tap, 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 tap. Door opens. Daddy, will you come and play with the babies with me? It's the time to play. So, oh, right. Um, well, I do need to study, personally. I, I do need to get that sort of time. And again, for any of us, there'll, there'll be ways in which we, we, we are committed and we do want to take part and serve in responsibilities that God has given us. Tell you what, I still want to serve God by serving my family. If I'm not serving God if I don't serve them. I'm not... I'm not honouring God. I'm not, I'm not worshipping Him in everything that life involves. If there aren't times when I change a nappy and when I say to Rach, no, this one's mine. You've done enough today. It's over to me. You know, and this is, that is opportunity to serve, to serve God. Serving God in all of who we are. You know, Often in terms of worship, we think in terms of singing, and rightly so. Well, I can sing a song with my brain completely switched off. Words are coming out of my mouth. I hope this isn't the case often, but sometimes it can be. Words are coming out of our mouths, but really, nothing's really significant is happening in here. I'm not really fixing my kind of my gaze on Jesus. I'm just singing. God's intention is that as I'm singing, this is real to me. I'm worshipping. I'm giving thanks. I'm honouring the one who made me and saved me. I tell you what, when I'm, when I'm with a family, whether it's a nappy or whether it's something else, I can be doing that with a sense of, oh, for goodness sake, not another one. I need to go and read. I need to go and do this. I want to go and do that. Oh. And nothing really, that honouring is happening up here. Or, I do that with an attitude in here, which is, Lord, this is bizarre, but let this be worship to you. Let this be thanks to you. Let this be, let this be honouring to you. And what happens? What's heaven's perspective? What's going to happen when we get to glory? Well, I'm ready. I'm ready for Jesus to say, well done. For the well, hopefully, uh, well done for that series on Revelation. That really equips the church. Um, he might say that. It might be there's other stuff in there that totally takes me by surprise. What that that registers in heaven? I, I thought nothing of it, and maybe that's the same for you. Um, there'll there'll be these moments where we think, no, that that was that was serving and honouring God, the way you sacrificed your. Your preference in order to do this. Well done, my people. So, God's people multinational. God's people serving. We've got a call in our lives to serve. We worship God, not just by singing. We worship God with our whole lives. And let's do that. Let's do that kind of with, with a peace in our hearts. And with a, with a security. Knowing God does see everything. And what's happening right now might not be seen by anybody else on the planet. Well, heaven is still paying attention. God can still be saying, well done, even if no one else is. So there are people that serve. Lastly, and moving on to the beginning of, of, of chapter 8, uh, we see something here about praying. Now, in a sense, the beginning of chapter 8 is this, it's kind of an intriguing part because it's like the overlap in between two visions. We, we see these big, Massive visions that John has. And so last week we were looking at chapter 6 and 7 together, the, the vision of the seals. Uh, for those of you who weren't there last week, that's not kind of like circus performing um, animals um, from Sea Life Center. Um, that's the seals that kind of 
marked up a scroll, bound up a scroll, being being broken. We saw that um, we saw that vision in chapter eight. It's about to move on into a new vision um, of the seven trumpets. There's this kind of intriguing bit in the middle. Um, we see that uh, there are seven angels who are kind of poised, ready to to start the next vision, as it were, but. Then in verse 3, another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. We get this, this interesting moment in heaven. And, uh, and this is not so much, I suppose, perhaps looking ahead at what heaven will involve. This is God's encouragement again to the church that's living on the earth in the here and now, in very difficult times, experiencing the great tribulation, the great pressure, the great trouble, the great hardship, maybe great persecution, and people being martyred for their faith. And they've asked the question, who can stand? Because this is really tough. Jesus reassures them with this vision of heaven. There's this extra little bit which talks about the prayers of the saints. And this is what the church is doing on the earth. And it's as though Jesus just wants us to realize, again, this is heaven's perspective on your prayers, on your prayer life. Because little church, perhaps feeling vulnerable, having a tough time on the earth, can be tempted to think, what's the point? What's the point when it comes to prayer? Because life is tough, and God's going to do what he wants to do anyway, which is a good thing. He's in control. Oh. And then but we, can, we can misunderstand that and carry a heavy heart when it comes to praying. So why pray if God is sovereign? Why pray on the earth if God in heaven is going to do what he wants to do anyway, ultimately? He's going to bring everything to this glorious conclusion and we'll one day be with him in heaven. Fantastic. Well, okay, let's just twiddle our thumbs and wait until that moment then. No, the church is involved in this vital activity of prayer. And God wants to say to his church, look, this is heaven's perspective in what you do. When you do, it's like this angel has a golden censer. This a censer, it's like a, a container in which incense is burnt. And so we get this picture here of prayer getting mixed with incense, which is getting burnt and it's going up before God. And notice that the censer is golden. And it's as though heaven is saying, your prayers to me are valuable. They are golden. I pay attention to what you pray. And we looked last week at this great silence at the beginning of chapter 8, when uh, when he opened the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And we looked at that as kind of awestruck wonder. The angels are just in wonder. They are in awe of Jesus bringing his plan for history through to completion. But it also serves. This silence takes place. And then what do we hear? What, what, what happens next? Oh, God hears the church praying. And God pays attention to the church praying. And do we almost get a sense of God saying to the angels, be quiet, because I want to listen to my people. Because my people have gathered together again. And my people, who are experiencing hard times, are praying. Our valuables are, are prayer. <laughs> our prayers are valuable um, to God. They're in this golden censer. Our prayers are heard by God. There's this silence that comes and the, 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 the prayers come before God. Heaven, in some mysterious way, even helps us when we pray. Because we see the angel, he has this golden censer, he's stood at the altar which is right before God, and he's given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. And so the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hands. Okay, we don't know exactly what's going on here. The language of Revelation is sometimes bizarre. Um, but somehow, heaven is involved in helping us to pray. 
perhaps even angels are involved in carrying us as we do and saying, here's another one, Lord. They're praying and we're just going to bring these up. Um, now, we, we pray in the name of Jesus. We're not kind of praying in the name of an angel or something, but it's almost it's just like, no, heaven concerns itself with prayer. And God helps us when we don't know how to pray. And also, in verse 5, we see that God intervenes when the church prays. It's not just a sense of, come on, just God's going to do whatever he wants to anyway. Well, yes, he is, but he involves us in it. And so it's almost like, like vapor, like smoke. The prayers that can just seem so insignificant when they come from our mouths, yep, they're, they're, they're going up. There they go. Seeming a bit vague, maybe, a bit insignificant. We don't always feel like we've got the most impressive words to use when we pray. We don't even know always how to pray, what the best thing to pray for is, but our prayer is going up. Small bits of smoke, just kind of heaven is paying attention. What happens next in verse 5? Then the angel took the censer, which had all the prayer in it, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Small insignificant prayers come up and then God intervenes the other way. Bang! And he does stuff. And he does things suddenly. And he does things dramatically. And he does things powerfully. And our prayers can seem insignificant. Our prayers can seem weak. But as one commentator has written, prayer is not the lonely venture it so often feels. It's like heaven is helping. There is heavenly assistance and our prayers do reach God. And when they reach God, it kind of gets this response. Small prayers, mighty answers. And it's almost like a, a signature, really. Peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. It's kind of revelation code for the powerful, potent presence of God. When God spoke to Job, he spoke in a storm. When God came down on Mount Sinai to speak with Moses, it was with thunder and lightning, and it was dramatic, and there were rumblings. And it's like, yeah, the very presence of God comes. We pray, God just powerfully sends his presence, his spirit. Ultimately, that's God answering our prayers is going to bring about his plan for the whole world. And again, this kind of then kicks us into the next vision, which we're not going to look at this time because it's rather chunky, the vision of the trumpets. Um, but right now, it's enough to say that our prayers are involved in all that God then wants to do in the kingdom. Our prayers are valuable to God and he pays attention. And as I was thinking about that, I just began to think of just a few examples where maybe not so much as an individual, but as a church, when we have gathered to pray, what has God done? I joined this church. I started coming along in September 1999 as a first-year student. And, um, and at that time, and, or shortly following on after that, the church was in the process of buying this building and then renovating it and then moving into it. And I, I started to come along to, to prayer meetings and I got involved and I, I kind of, I saw the way the guys were leading us in prayer and it's like, wow, this church doesn't have any money. And it's spending a million pounds. And like there are bills that are coming in and some of them are coming in this week and it's like for 40,000 pounds or for 50,000 pounds or for 20,000 pounds. And it's Sunday night, because prayer meetings were on a Sunday then. It's Sunday night, we're praying and there's a bill to pay for quite a lot of money. And I think it's safe to say that's beyond like our ability just to kind of like rally around. Anyone got a bit of loose change? That didn't really happen in the church. There, there weren't a huge number of appeals. Come on, everybody. Empty your bank accounts now in the name of Jesus. That wasn't that kind of pressure. So, no, we prayed. We learned how to pray. And we prayed a number of times. And now, well, we sat here. And it might not seem like much now in the passing of time. But we had to pray. And we got on our knees. 
And maybe our prayers just seemed a bit smoky. But look how God has intervened. That's just a building, but God's done it in other ways. There was another occasion, I don't know why this crossed my mind, we were praying about another building. God, do you want us to go for this? Do you want us to buy this one? It was like, in a different part of town, it was a vacant building. I'll just point that out as the story develops. It was a vacant building, and we were praying, God, you know, what's your purposes? Do you want us to buy this building? We don't, again, we didn't, we weren't awash with money or anything, but just a sense of, in order to reach out to that community and to the rest of Sheffield, do you want us to have this building? God, would you kind of show us some kind of sign? Would there, there be some indication from heaven that we should or shouldn't go for this? And when we found out that as we were praying, that building, which was vacant, had literally gone up in flames. I'm sorry. (laughs) We didn't quite know what we were praying for. But I think that was a response from heaven. This one's not for you. (laughs) Don't worry about this one. No, no. I got something else we planned. It's like, no, we, we, we pray. Our prayers often seem pathetic. God answers. God directs us. God steers the church. That's what God does. And I hope you pick up, just in the last few weeks, we've had people, we've had four people in the past few weeks testify to God healing them. Actually, we've had five because in the, we had someone, we had Luke. Luke is no longer in Sheffield, but Luke came to Sheffield as a student. And, um, and then when visiting Sheffield in, Years later, he came down with a rare but severe neurological disease. And it threatened his very life. It literally paralyzed him. He was stood just down there. He had the chat with Arnold. He had the microphone. He came. He spoke to us. He said, I just want to thank you, City Church, because you prayed for me. Um, Because when I visited a few years ago, I actually had just to go straight to the hospital. And I was paralyzed. And um, I want you to know that your prayers... Actually, and God's grace delivered me from that because the medics were predicting that in all likelihood I would die. There was a high chance that I would die. Even if I survived, um, the, 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 the length of rehab would be, would be massive. And he stood there. Now he wasn't saying it's as if I never had that disease. There's, still ways in which he's recovering but it's very very clear that our prayers were answered by that man getting out of hospital and so we need heaven's perspective when it comes to praying and I believe that heaven would want to encourage us today I hear your prayers God says when you get together and pray it's as if I just say to heaven for a moment, would you be quiet just for a minute? They're praying. They're bringing their requests before Almighty God, and I want to hear them. And I'm going to respond to them. Now, we are involved, as I said right at the outset, in this mysterious place, the now and the not yet. Now, experiencing The kingdom of God breaking in. Miracles, answers to prayer. Some buildings here, some buildings burnt up. It's a bit weird. But God in the here and now, amongst us, by his presence, with us, performing miracles, answering prayer, providing money and resources that we didn't have to enable us to seek the kingdom of God expanding in this part of the world. We're also involved in the not yet and some things we know in heaven, every tear will be wiped away. Sometimes, temporarily, as we live on the earth, every tear is not wiped away. Every prayer doesn't always get the answer that we would most desire or anticipate. But, don't stop praying. Don't stop Praying big prayers. Don't give up when it feels like prayer is lonely and your prayers are just smoke that could just get blown away in the wind. No, heaven is paying attention. And we're going to see what heaven wants to do when a God who sits on the throne of glory 
decides, okay, it's now time. I'm going to intervene. There you go. There's your healing. There's your building. There's people getting saved. There's a ridiculous quantity of food to give away to the poor in your city. God intervening. Let's pray. Let's not lose hearts. God is sovereign and he will answer. Let's pray now.